Welcome to Cryptic Chronicles episode 4. I'm your host, Tim Hacker, and today on the show we got part 1 of alien races from the UFO phenomenon. Originally I was just going to do an overview of ET races, but it just went deeper and deeper. Considering the vast and often contradicting nature of this subject, I'm choosing the information I find most interesting, while trying to keep a consistent narrative or the most accepted versions of alleged alien races that have made themselves known to humans on Earth. Now, I may leave some things out concerning some ETs, or be saying a different version that some people don't agree with, or be saying the opposite of what some listeners subscribe to. But it's only out of practicality and trying to keep a consistent narrative. I can always cover other information or other versions down the line. It's no big deal. But for now, I'm mostly doing these two episodes for future reference and context for episodes down the line when we cover the UFO phenomenon. And this subject gets really strange really quick, like different dimensions, different stages of evolution and consciousness, vibrations, technological advancement, spiritual advancement, cosmic reincarnation, and a whole bunch of weird stuff I don't really understand. But I'll do my best. Some races are supposedly millions to billions of years old, making many ancient ET races so advanced they're interdimensional, many existing beyond what we third-dimensional humans would consider reality, some even existing in non-physical realities and physical realities. It's very confusing to me, and some of these entities or beings can purposely reincarnate where they want to reincarnate, on a cosmic scale. And thousands and thousands of years of history means nothing to them in the grand galactic scheme of things. It's no wonder a lot of this information seems so off. I mean, considering how everyday people look at things. And before we start, I just want to mention the Lyrans really quick. Because I'm going to be referencing them a lot. They're a cosmic family of a sort. Lyrans come from the Lyra constellation. There are a whole different assortment of humanoid-type beings looking somewhat similar to us, but not really. The thing that connects all the Lyrans is they all share the same genetic structures, and they're all pretty close with each other for the most part, which is where most of the stories of the good aliens who want to help us and look out for us come from, because supposedly we're Lyrans. Earth humans, some kind of super hybrid. Yeah, I told you, it's gonna get weird. The majority of Lyran races are civilized, enlightened civilizations, but not all of them. There's a couple who are even pretty much indistinguishable from humans, which I'll get to in a second. But there's also a lot of very alien Lyran races too. So when I mention Lyra or Lyrans, now you'll know what I'm talking about. Okay, let's get started on the overview of the ET races from the UFO phenomenon. And if you're sometimes scratching your head, don't worry, because I am too. Okay, let's start with the Pleiadians. They hail from the Pleiades, a very beautiful constellation of stars. These are one of the ET races that resemble Earth humans. They look from Nordic to Asian in appearance, having all the basic shades and pigments that we have. These advanced extraterrestrials have way better technology than us and are way more mature spiritually. And their civilization is incredibly older, so that makes sense. Pleiadians claim to be our cousins and are somewhat demigod-like over our civilization. Supposedly, they don't see it that way, though, because Pleiadians have an intense interest on our species, which is allegedly based off of altruism. They communicate through channelers, but there's also tons of contactee reports. They've come to Earth many times to walk among us working to expand human consciousness from behind the scenes, and help usher us into a new golden age, but one that we must choose to achieve ourselves, 
because while being able to influence us, direct intervention is forbidden. Depending on the source, this is for many different reasons, but the majority is that there's some kind of quarantine on Earth. Supposedly, the Pleiadians have never abandoned us, spiritually, mentally, or physically. Believing a single spark can cause an inferno, Pleiadians love to teach and enlighten humans while in disguise, then set that person loose among human societies to enlighten others. These good-natured aliens have supposedly never relented in their intent for human evolution in all ways. These ETs allegedly have direct permission to influence us from some alliance of Lyran races, and this honor is only given to a handful of the Lyran civilizations, and shows that they're very trusted and respected among their galactic community. Most accounts say that the Pleiadians can exist in the third, fourth, and fifth dimensions, but mainly manifest themselves in the fifth dimension, a dimension of far higher consciousness than ours. Their home planet's called Era and has a population way smaller than Earth's, having only around 400,000 Pleiadians living there at one time. Era's not that smaller of a planet than Earth, so this number seems pretty small for an advanced civilization. But their civilization thrives, Pleiadians believing that around 400,000 people is about the perfect balance for a healthy planet. Their industry, cities, technology having no negative effect on the planet at all. Their culture believing in a balance between nature and technology. But that doesn't mean they don't have a population off the planet. It's just their society's form of indefinite damage control on planets that they inhabit throughout the cosmos. The Pleiadians have no form of money whatsoever. To them, currency just giving the illusion of scarcity and is somewhat primitive, creating duality and conflict in civilizations when in truth, Abundance is always there for all living beings. So to them, it's more a form of control for less advanced civilizations. The pursuit of growth, skill, and knowledge worth way more than any material gain, and their contributions to society as a whole, the higher drive in their actions. Kind of like Earth and Star Trek, I guess. Their civilization more gift-based. But they're so advanced, they're not selfish and don't take more than what they need or hedonistic or excessive. Due to getting whatever they need, Pleiadians basically have no medical issues on their planets or in their civilization as a whole. Their medical science is actually geared towards curing things, unlike our profit-based pharmaceutical corporations, which is one of the main factors in their insanely long lifespans of up to 700 years. In their civilization, they learn about the universe and their place in it up to the age of 10 then basically spend an entire human lifetime perfecting a single skill or trade, which lasts up to 80 years and is based off of their talents and interests. So as an Earth human life is coming to an end, a Pleiadian is considered to be coming to adulthood. And with such expansive lifetimes, these aliens have had no problem recording all of human history, allegedly watching us advance from the very start. And due to many contradicting resources, I could go in a couple different directions here. I'll just go with it being safe to say that in a lot of accounts, the Pleiadians are one of the gene donors that make up humanity, as well as up to 20 other Lyran races, depending on where you get your info from. And I found it very interesting that there's actually some solid evidence to back that up. Francis Crick in 1953 deciphered the skeleton of human DNA. Dr. Crick came to the conclusion that extraterrestrial genome were the building blocks of our genetics. And his renowned research on DNA discovered a lot that wasn't fully understood by science at that time. An anomaly leading to the doctor to conclude that there were genes of over 20 different alien species in human DNA. That doesn't necessarily mean alien as in alien, because technically all life is alien most being seeded by asteroids crashing on our planet, evolving slowly over time from the tiniest amoebas and bacterias. But Dr. Crick did honestly think that they were extraterrestrials. And according to this stuff, the Pleiadians were one of the genetic donors to our DNA. And that's why these aliens consider us on Earth part of their family. 
They're also unique because they're one of the few species that can actually walk among us because they look pretty much just like us. Just prettier. Also, Pleiadians weren't always called Pleiadians. They originally came from the Lyra constellation and only fled to the Pleiades after a genocidal war against the Lyrans. Their main cosmic antagonists being reptilians. The Pleiadians have been able to travel at faster than light speeds across the universe long before there was any sentient life on Earth. In fact, supposedly they helped seed the basic forms of life on Earth somehow, and have even colonized and used it as a deep space outpost a couple times. So they have this obsession with humans because they consider us part of their family. This is the reason why they seem to have a fully benevolent agenda towards us. But they don't like the elite or the corporations who rule Earth. Pretty much detesting how they dominate and deceive common people, which is their main motivation for guiding us and enlightening us from the background. You know, because they can't directly interfere. The Reptilians, the heirs to the universe, the Draconis of the Draconian Empire. There's lots of different versions of these reptile-like humanoids, alleged knowledge about them varying depending on where you look. But if you've delved into ET conspiracies even just a little, you've heard of the Reptilians. And in basically all resources, their history goes back really, really far these ETs being one of the most advanced alien species in the universe. But they weren't formed by nature. They were actually originally created by an entirely different alien race through genetic engineering. And the reptilians' creator race goes back so ancient Earth hadn't even formed yet into its recognizable appearance, and the universal population basically non-existent. This creator race of the reptilians are called carrions. The carrions created many species, but the reptilians were their favorite, and first. Carrions are also called avians. They're humanoids who resemble birds in a lot of ways, but they still have arms and legs like humans would. And these avians were one of the first sentient species in the universe. Another alien species taking up residence in the Lyra constellation at the same time during this era, known as the feline race. The reptilians' homeworld would be located in the Draco constellation. The avians spent a lot of time educating and giving knowledge to the reptilians. The avians taught them since the beginning of their existence that the universe belonged to them. It was their inheritance, it was their playground, and anything in it was theirs for the taking. Their destiny was to dominate, rule, and control, to be the bringers of order to the universe and all other living beings. And the avians gave them technology and sent them out into the universe making the reptilians among the most ancient interstellar travelers. As the millennia went on and the reptilians explored, they were surprised to find other sentient beings in the universe. With the thought of themselves being so superior over all others firmly implanted in their mind, this didn't go well too often for other races. And their hubris only grew more solidified and pronounced as other species evolved and advanced conducting themselves with a cold detachment towards all other sentient species and a lack of respect for all life other than reptilian in the universe. Basically looking at other creatures and aliens as things, as property, insignificant, a resource to be exploited, nothing more and nothing less. And this is the mindset that reptilians still keep till this day. As you can imagine, this makes them very popular among other aliens. The nobles or elites of their society look like spiked, crocodile, dragon-like humanoid hybrids, complete with wings and everything. Pretty much monsters, in size, appearance, and demeanor. But their warrior class and science class and other subspecies don't have wings. They're still huge, though, getting up to 8 feet tall. And then there's tons of other subspecies of reptilians. They're pretty proficient at genetic engineering being like uh, billions of years old or something. These malevolent aliens traveling through the cosmos in its primordial infancy. They were even the first to chart our solar system, the Sol system. Back in such ancient antiquity, the whole solar system was probably unrecognizable compared to today. 
Everywhere the reptilians explored, they claimed it as theirs, whether they needed it or not, whether they wanted it or not. And back in this ancient time, Earth became a religious symbol or something to them. Something of symbolic importance, claiming Earth as their own when other ancient aliens were in diapers. Their tech was so insanely advanced, any sentient race in the cosmos was instantly at a massive disadvantage. But with arrogance comes a lack of creativity and adaptability. So they weren't invincible. But the reptilians would conquer and colonize a plethora of star systems with ruthless, cold-blooded efficiency, creating many subspecies of reptilians through their gene tech, as well as altering the genes of the conquered native species they found, making them more reptilian. Or better servants, slaves, or food. Basically destroying races' entire evolutionary path to suit their own whims. But if a species they conquered were considered strong, they could probably avoid such a fate many other aliens being among the Draconis Empire. The notorious greys, the most common alien species in the UFO phenomenon, wasn't such a race to avoid this fate. The greys, in many cases, said to be a slave race of the reptilians. So heavily genetically altered, they're more like robot servants, and don't even have the ability to breed on their own, instead forced to propagate through cloning, which has had basically irreversible effects on their DNA. So, the Greys were pretty heavily corrupted by the Draconis Empire, but are just one among many to suffer the same fate throughout the universe. The reptilians are said to not only need food, with uh, flesh being their favorite, but they also need to sustain themselves on negative energy to survive. Some sources say the Greys are the reptilian scouts, not only slave workers, and they journey through space not only searching for food for their masters, but also being their eyes and their ears being some kind of vanguard race for the reptilians. The abductions of humans on Earth being some kind of side agenda for the greys, many speculating that they try to use our DNA to fix the damage done to their own. The reptilians have been repressing humanoid races throughout space for basically forever, indoctrinating all their subjects into a fear-based belief system. Not only for them to feed off the negative energy, but to keep their conquered subjugated and docile, with repressive hierarchies formed to grind the common people under the boots of domineering elites. And since reptilians view themselves as the greatest master species in the universe without equal, it's no wonder they're expansive, greedy, with immense egos, constantly causing suffering throughout interstellar history. To them, it's their birthright to rule lesser evolved planets or basically all other species other than reptilian, with the fates of the conquered basically whatever they wish on a whim of their twisted desires. And of course they look at Earth humans as inferior, and attempt to subjugate and influence our society from the shadows, since they're unable to directly conquer Earth. Mostly because the alliance of Lyrans won't let them but also because if they did, it could start galactic wars that they're not confident they would win, because in the past they lost such a war that let the galaxy burn. These are the aliens that destroyed the Laren homeworlds in the Lyra constellation, and the main reason why they're spread throughout the cosmos. This all gives the reptilians a particular interest in us on a vindictive level, because to them, they're being robbed since they claim this solar system is belonging to them when they charted this sector of space a bazillion years ago. And Earth holds some strange religious symbolism to them. So reptilians look at humans like we're herds of cattle, and basically deserve the same treatment to be chopped up and sent to fast food restaurants. Just a disposable resource. There is presently countless subspecies of reptilians, with one such subspecies left behind on Earth. Though small in number, they've been allegedly influencing us for a long time, because the turns in galactic chess are played in eons, not years. With many ancient reptile-like gods from human civilizations being members of this subspecies of reptilian, they possess a chameleon-like trait able to appear just like humans for a period of time. Whether this is straight-up shape-shifting or some kind of telepathic manipulation isn't known. And a lot of UFO conspiracy theorists blame a lot of Earth's problems on these guys, some even claiming that they take the forms of our politicians and people in power throughout the world, and incite conflict and suffering across the globe. 
Because if humans all came together in peace, they'd probably all die since they need fear to sustain them. All reptilians believe that love is weak and fear rules, making them just as evil and ruthless to each other as they are to other species in the universe. It being customary in their culture to abandon children and to leave them to survive on their own. Often taken in by the warrior caste to be forced into gladiatorial-like conflicts for amusement. Or the abandoned children are just sadistically mistreated by the main populist society. Or they're even left to survive on some feral wilderness among countless predatory beasts. In reptilian culture, they think this makes their population strong. So, all reptilians of the Draconis culture are survivors. With resourcefulness, independence ferocity, a killer instinct, cunning, and no boundaries or sense of decency on what they'll do to other living beings. Only if they survive to maturity do they earn a place in reptilian society. They're not unstoppable and all-conquering, though. They've been beaten before, and they're not some supreme power. With their arrogance and their inability to adapt, usually their downfall. And not to mention when you're going around being a jerk to everybody, there's going to be a bunch of people who gang up against you. So the reptilians have made many, many, many dangerous enemies. But reptilians just spin all that into propaganda, usually saying stuff like it's the humanoid species who invaded their space, and other races seek to starve them of the resources and food that they need to survive. Uh, Among many other lies ensuring the reptilians grow to hate humanoid beings of the galaxy from the very start. The subspecies on Earth loves to cause human suffering and conflict. They feed on it, as well as their reptile kin from across the cosmos. All the debased energies humans can emit are meals to them, as well as our flesh. Which is why there's not many accounts of abductees being returned. They're basically always never seen again and most likely experienced a pretty horrible fate. The flesh of children is a delicacy to them. Human children are without the accumulation of pollutants found in adults from our toxic food and pollution everywhere on the planet. And they're not desensitized like a lot of adults. So their adrenaline hormones explode in fear far more acutely than adults. When I read this, I could only think of the movie It and Pennywise the Clown. But allegedly, this is why so many children vanish in such numbers across the globe. Human kids being the yummiest delicacy for reptilians. But they'll torture and eat any human. It's just kids that are their favorite. Any victim is first completely terrified as much as possible mentally and physically. Building up as much pain and fear as they possibly can. This is basically like cooking a meal to the reptilians. Then, once the horror is great enough, it's time to eat. Supposedly, the reptilians played a huge role in humanity's fall from grace. But when I was trying to find more information on that, I couldn't find anything consistent. One source says that the reptilians are one of the reasons why Lemuria and Atlantis fell around 13,000 years ago. And the Terrans, Earth humans, did some terrible stuff back then that basically pushed the restart button on our civilization, then knocked us down to a lower form of consciousness. But that's just one of many contradicting stories. Out of all the ETs out there in the UFO phenomenon, the reptilians are by far one of the most dangerous and hostile to humans. And according to a lot of information, if galactic politics had turned out only slightly different than it currently is, then Earth would already be a terror-torture farm of humans whose sole purpose is to feed the sadistic reptilians. And allegedly this evil race is still a reoccurring thorn in humanity's side up till present day. And third up is the Arcturians. These aliens come from a blue planet orbiting the brightest star in the Boots constellation, and this star is much larger than our sun. Some sources state that these Arcturians are the most advanced civilization in the universe, 
and in their evolution have even transcended the need for physical bodies, able to exist in many different higher dimensions. These dimensions are spiritual, with thought and pure consciousness dictating what we would call reality. But even though they're so advanced and mostly energy, if they want to, they can take a 3D physical form. And how all that works, I have no idea. And when Arcturians are in a physical form, they appear to be short, their tallest members of their species reaching around a maximum of four feet tall. Their skin appears in many shades of blue and green, but mostly appear a dark cobalt blue. Arcturians have wide craniums, sloping backwards in an oval jut. Their heads are smooth and hairless, and so is the rest of their body. Their ears are very small, and a little bit of cartilage forms around the ear canal. They have thick, protruding cheekbones swerving down into a thin, pointed jaw. Their eyes are wide, almond-shaped, deep, dark pools of iris that resemble galaxies somewhat. Their noses are small, and their thin lips seem to always be slightly curving into a smile. The Octurians actually have little need for their eyes. This is because their telepathic abilities are way better than regular sight, but their sense of hearing is even greater than their telepathy. And it's also said that they have even more senses that they use through the back of their head. Where us humans have five fingers, they only have three. And the Arcturians are said to be able to use telekinesis, which is the ability to move objects with their minds. This race of aliens is pretty much indistinguishable from one another, their physical bodies having little distinguishable or individualistic traits. Contactees really only able to tell the difference between them when they communicate telepathically in their minds. And that's fine for a race of telepaths, but confusing to other races in the universe. The Arcturians are perfectly content with their lack of a physical individuality. They've said that they're happy to be free of the vanity that plagues many other sentient races. It makes sense, though, considering the Arcturians are more energy-based than physical matter-based. They've even evolved beyond the need for material food to sustain them. Arcturians only need high vibrating forms of energy to survive, which they just absorb, like plants absorbing the rays of the sun, or humans absorbing vitamins through their skin. It's just a way, way more advanced form of that. These blue-skinned aliens require very little sleep, which they call their sacred time for soul travel. Their evolutionary progress is far beyond most races in the universe, but so is their spiritual evolution as well. And much of their abilities are beyond comprehension to the lesser evolved species of the universe. Service and healing are the basic tenets that their cultures live their lives by. These beyond ancient Lyrans love to teach and enlighten other cultures in the universe. Arcturians considering it a cultural calling and responsibility to the rest of the sentient beings in the universe. The Pleiadians I mentioned earlier are dedicated students to the Arcturians, and have worked with them often through cosmic history. They're easily one of the greatest species in the universe when it comes to a loving, non-judgmental nature, and usually have a lifespan of around 400 years. Their culture's daily life is similar to a Buddhist monastery with pursuing their wisdoms and philosophies their culture's greatest virtue. Arcturian society is ruled by the most spiritually advanced and wise elders, which, among their universally enlightened civilization, is saying something. The Arcturian's whole life pursuit is for spiritual development. In fact, all jobs, tasks, professions are geared towards that individual's spiritual development and personal journey with all occupations revered and respected equally. Arcturians allegedly have really advanced souls, and they get to choose their own incarnations. So it's safe to say their homeworld and civilization as a whole is really peaceful and gets along with one another. Arcturians have a special connection to Earth. They have solid bonds and work with the Ascended Masters, even calling their group the Brotherhood of the All. Ascended masters being transcended esotericists, mystics, or enlightened sages who were all once regular humans. 
not only are the Arcturians the most advanced in evolution and in spirituality, but they're also the most advanced in technology, and luckily are the official guardians of our planet, as well as many other worlds unable to protect themselves from aggressive interstellar civilizations. Though they leave the more hands-on stuff concerning humans to the other Lyran races who were chosen to do so. Of the alliance of Lyran races, uh, among others, the Arcturians are easily the heavy hitters of all the factions. The most powerful. Even the brutal and mighty Reptilians never willingly engage Arcturian ships in combat. And the Reptilians are easily the second most powerful of all the factions of races in the universe. The Arcturian ships are so advanced, they don't even use a form of what we would call computers. Instead, controlled by some kind of crazy etheric energy matrix. Their telepathic abilities take in the place of knobs, controls, buttons, etc. Arcturian ships are invisible to human eyes, go figure. But there's never one not patrolling around Earth or the solar system. And the rules that apply to the Pleiadians also apply to the Arcturians, so they can't interact with us directly. They have a base on the moon, which supposedly isn't even a moon at all, but artificially put there. And they have a single base actually on Earth, located inside Mount Shasta in Northern California. And it's healthy for them, I guess, because there's actually an Earth energetic ley line that goes right through Mount Shasta. It's like a, an Earth chakra or something. Which is one of the reasons why that mountain in California has a lot of mystical history attributed to it. It's kind of like a meeting ground for a lot of spiritual people, like a Mecca. And the waters that come from Mount Shasta are said to have supernormal properties associated with healing. Arcturians are interdimensional aliens. Them and their technology are only visible to humans if they want to be visible. But when they do contact humans, it's usually with their telepathy from a distance, because they don't really want to scare us with their very alien appearance. And that's if they're in a physical form at all, not just some silhouette of vibrating blue energy. The Arcturians have tried to contact the governments from around the world a few times, especially the U.S., but have been rudely rejected every time because what they have to offer doesn't suit their agendas. In fact, supposedly most shadow governments really, really, really like to suppress Arcturian info. But that's okay because Arcturians are unable to be offended and are patient but they're firm in the belief that Earth has to choose its own destiny on its own. They're just around to make sure we can get there. And though they can't protect humanity from a lot of stuff, they can protect us where it counts. The Little Green Men our classic close encounter from the 1950s, made famous by Billy Ray and the Kelly Hopskinville case. In the sighting, two country Kentucky men came to the press claiming they encountered somewhat human-looking aliens around four feet tall. They wore skin-tight jumpsuits, had green skin, and antennas protruding from their foreheads. The journalists who Billy Ray and the other Kentucky man talked to are the ones who created the term Little Green Men, and the name has stuck ever since. These aliens have become pretty rare in ufology circles, and those who study the UFO phenomenon, pretty much falling out of favor for more commonly encountered aliens past the 50s. In this day and age, the term is usually used by either the uninformed or skeptics, with most UFO enthusiasts shying away from the topic of this alien race and associating them with the silly or tinfoil hat stereotype mocked by the public in those days. With most ET researchers wishing to be taken seriously, this has pushed the little green men more into a pop culture sci-fi fantasy, not to be taken seriously. Which is a shame because their most famous close encounter is actually pretty interesting and has a lot of evidence behind it. The term Little Green Men is actually a lot older than the Close Encounter in the 50s when it was made popular. It first came to public attention following Orson Welles' famous War of the Worlds broadcast in 1938, and was a popular alien stereotype during the first half of the 20th century. Stories of the Little Green Men were especially popular in comic books and radio dramas. 
And though the mainstream think these aliens are more entertainment than anything else, those who had a close encounter with them thought they were anything but fantasy. The most famous encounter in Kentucky had more witnesses than just the mere two country farmers. This close encounter occurred on the night of August 21st, 1955. And it's important to remember that the community of this time was made up of very serious Christians. So these contactees really didn't have much to gain from telling people this story. It made them seem heretical to the rest of their society and were even shunned and mocked openly. At the time, they became a joke, weirdos and outcasts, losing any social respect that they had from their peers. They had nothing to gain and only to lose at the time. And by coming forth, they basically ruined their lives as they knew it. It all started with Billy Ray, who noticed a strange metallic object on his land while he was getting a bucket of water. The metallic object, most definitely a UFO. And when Billy Ray noticed this, he freaked out and immediately fled into the family farmhouse. Seven people within were shocked to see unusual creatures around their home's perimeter as they looked out the various windows of the house. The people were horrified, concluding they were under siege as the little green men began to harass the occupants of the home. The aliens had unnerving and awkward body movement, as if unfamiliar with walking or gravity or something. It's speculated that Earth was just a very different environment than what they were used to. The little green men tried to enter the house repeatedly, but allegedly were unsuccessful. The people inside the farmhouse would use their firearms against the ETs, blasting away with shotguns, rifles, pistols, you name it. But something about the aliens rendered their weapons non-fatal. The bullets would stop them and make them retreat on a direct hit, but they would only return to try and get inside the house again from a different angle. The people inside running from one part of the house all the way to the other to defend against another alien push. When the coast finally seemed clear early in the morning, two of the men, including Billy Ray, went to authorities for help and were quickly laughed off and humiliated. But they eventually convinced the law enforcement to come to the farm. And though Billy Ray was hesitant, he couldn't stop journalists coming too. There was no evidence to be found other than a damaged farmhouse with bullet holes everywhere. So the police and journalists left. But that night, the whole thing happened again. The little green men terrorizing Billy Ray's farmhouse and the people inside all the way until dawn. But this time when Billy Ray came forward about it, the story blew up becoming one of the most famous close encounters of the third kind back in those days. And it's interesting the misquoting by the journalists. They took a lot of liberties to create a better story, adding and taking away from the witnesses' stories where they saw fit. For example, the witnesses described the aliens as hobgoblins, with silver skin, not green. The jumpsuits were completely made up by the journalists. So it's these journalists who are more behind the little green men pop culture aliens. These bizarre ETs are documented in many other close encounter and abductee reports too, with tiny implants found within the abductees a common theme. But past the 70s, encounters with these hostile, mysterious aliens have dwindled to nothing almost in totality. The little green men were a mythic, old-timey stereotype in these days who, when mentioned to modern ufologists, will most likely make them roll their eyes at you. You're listening to Cryptic Chronicles, and I'll be right back. Listeners, Cryptic Chronicles is available on iTunes as well as all popular podcast apps and web hosts. Or please visit us at crypticchroniclespodcast.com for full content. Send us an email. We would love to hear from you. Join us on our social media to keep updated. And thanks for supporting the show. Please leave us a good review on iTunes to help grow the podcast. But most of all, thanks for listening. I've already mentioned the Carrions, 
specifically in the reptilian segment. So let's look at them a little bit more in depth. The avians are allegedly one of the first two sentient species in the universe, the other being the feline lyrans. In my research, I found these aliens to be pretty enigmatic. Some sources say the carrions and the feline lyrans came from a different universe, one that had already completed its universal cycle, whatever that means. Other sources say that they were just one of the first to evolve into an interstellar technological race. And I found that there was different information on them based on whatever resource I looked at. The avian civilization would rise in the Orion constellation, with Alpha Draconi being their planet's star. An easy way to describe their appearance would be just to be a mix between a, I guess mix a bird and a human together, but with the more bipedal nature of the human being the dominant feature. But unlike humans, the avians have a way crazier variety of how they look. Not only in shape and size, but their color scheme seems to be pretty all over the place. They possess colored plumage in bold, vibrant colors, with just as often there being a whole bunch of colors as only being a few or a one. In height, they can range from 12 feet tall to only a handful of inches in height. So they all look really individual and unique from one another. And the avians, who are only a couple inches tall, I'm sure probably think that they drew the short stick. Sorry, I keep on calling them avians and then carrions, but they're interchangeable. They're the same thing. Back in the early days of the universe, the carrions would eventually advance to the point of a grand civilization. The carrions are known for their sharp analytical abilities and organizational skills. A predominant character trait of the carrions is the obsession with maintaining a good appearance and image at all times. They're vain paying a lot of attention to their appearance and ornamentation. They structure their society around adherence to codes of conduct, discipline, and order. Their sharp analytical minds makes them extremely talented generals, strategists, organizers, and bureaucrats. Though their genetic engineering wasn't nearly on the level of the Lyran felines, they were still pretty good at it. They mix their own DNA with the reptiles found on the warmer parts of their planet. This would become the firstborn race into the galaxy, the reptilians. The carrions seem to be called strict adherence to something called the universal laws, and were supposedly given some kind of responsibility concerning the balance of the universe. The carrions wanted their first child species to be powerful, self-perpetuating, and dominating teaching the earliest reptilians that all in the universe was theirs for the taking. But they would seed many countless worlds that would evolve into various life forms too, and they engineered many other sentient species of diverse natures other than the reptilians. But they also helped make a lot of the subspecies of reptilians as well, and even created subspecies of their own race, the avians. The blue avians in particular seem to be similar to the carrions in demeanor and attributes but are a little bit more aligned towards good, even siding against their carrion creators many times in galactic politics. The blue avians working closely with Pleiadians and have assisted Earth many times. They travel the cosmos in teleporting spheres instead of ships, and no real negative contactee accounts of them have ever been recorded or any abduction reports. So they're friendly, I guess, but they're more documented visiting more primitive humans than us modern humans in cities. Alright, enough about the blue avians. And focusing back on their progenitor race, the Carrions. They're basically responsible for the biggest jerk race in the galaxy who have caused trouble with any race they've interacted with. And are pretty universally unpopular with the rest of the interstellar community. The weirdest thing about that is the Carrions are not an evil or malevolent race of ETs, which makes an interesting question on why they would create a race of beings to have conquest and dominance as a religion in the first place, or creating a race that just blatantly couldn't coexist with basically any other sovereign civilization in the universe. I mean, they had a big idea of what was going down and how things worked but still created the mustache-twirling bad guy of the cosmos. Maybe through their cold-blooded logic, they assumed they could 
bring order to the universe by any means necessary. You know, like those greater good thinkers. Um, or that the reptilians would be a permanent protector. Or maybe they had to be the creators of the cosmic yin to balance out the yang. Whatever the reason, the reptilians would outnumber the carrions eventually. Their bird being creators taking a back seat to their civilization, though a revered one. However, the carrions did share all of their knowledge and technology with the reptilians, basically making them what they are, and assisting in administering the creation of many subspecies and hybrid reptilians, usually of conquered races, but sometimes from scratch as well. The carrions were even at the forefront of the reptilian invasion of Lyra, which started a long war that lit the universe on fire. to the Syrians. On Earth, the brightest star we're able to see is the Sirius star. It's located in the Canis Major constellation. The category of Syrians falls along many different species. It's not a single civilization. The alien races from this part of the galaxy are very varied and totally different from one another, with some even being more gaseous or immaterial in form. The inhabitants of Sirius also have many shades of gray when it comes to their morality and cultural outlooks. They're selfish races, imperialistic, enlightened, benevolent, to anything in between. Most of the negative or hostile civilizations are for the most part in the Sirius B star system, the white dwarf cousin of Sirius A. And yeah, the diversity of alien species in this system is immense basically ranging from being so bizarre that they're beyond human imagination to the lineup of aliens from sci-fi TV shows. A notable race of Syrians are the aquatics, fish-like humanoids who are actually pretty visually elegant, not a nightmare like you would think. And though they're basically known as aquatics, they call themselves the Namos. Their homeworld is comfortably hot and almost completely covered in water. They have an advanced physical as well as technological use of sound vibrations, and in some way have a connection to dolphins and aquatic life on Earth as well as other planets, being some kind of horse whisperer race to marine life. A secluded West African tribe known as the Dogon have a pretty famous mythology concerning the aquatics. The Dogon tribe has always had perplexing and accurate information on the Sirius star system going back long before it was discovered by science. Or even the concept of space and aliens was even a thing on Earth. And say what you want about ancient alien enthusiasts, but this case actually has some decent evidence behind it. The aquatics having visited the Dogons a long time ago. And the information the Dogons have concerning the Sirius star system is incredibly accurate, going back hundreds of years, but being as proficient as modern technology. The Dogons say the aquatics gave the tribe astrological information, even telling them about Sirius B, which is invisible to most modern ways of viewing the constellation due to Sirius A's intense illumination, something science wouldn't discover until ages later. But the Dogon tribe had that knowledge a long time ago. Dogon tribe artifacts dating back 400 years or more perfectly resemble the Sirius star constellation, as well as the accurate orbit of the star. But it wasn't until the 1970s that astronomers had a good enough telescope to actually see Sirius. The Dogons also knew about the moons of Jupiter and rings on Saturn. Accurate astrological information, basically impossible for this secluded primitive tribe to even possess. The Namos Aquatics gifted the tribe much of their cosmic knowledge as a sign of friendship. So they're definitely not hostile to humans. You know, there's just so many different types of Syrians, it would be impossible to talk about them all. But another notable Syrian race are ones that come from a planet orbiting the star Vegan. These Syrians are of Lyran descent, 
also fleeing from their home worlds in the Lyra constellation when the reptilians came and destroyed everything. After fleeing from their original homeworld, they went into hiding to avoid enslavement or extinction by the reptilians. They have close ties with the progenitor feline Lyrans, who also fled with what was left of their civilization to a planet nearby. And this race of Lyrans from the Sirius star system are called the Kate. They look pretty human-like, but just give them some elven-type qualities from fantasy, and you'll get a good idea what they look like. Also, their skin is hues of blue from the heavy ultraviolet light that comes from the vegan star. They're taller than humans, with no body hair, and are more evolved than us by a good stretch, these Syrians even developing extra lobes in their brains. This gives them pretty crazy abilities to see being able to see inside and through objects, or even see them in multiple dimensions. Some resources saying they can see all angles of the same object at once. And all that while still maintaining their regular third-dimensional sight on top of that, similar to the sight that we humans have. So yeah, they basically just see everything a hundred million times better than us or something. These Syrians are considered to be great warriors by other civilizations in the universe. The Kate vegans were even an early visitor to Earth four of the five million years ago. Though allegedly around a million years ago, they made a colony on Earth. Their genes, as well as Pleiadian genes, are allegedly in our human DNA. Overall, though, the Syrians are basically a cosmopolitan mix of aliens. A whole bunch of them clustered together. These aliens existing in many different dimensions, planes of existence, as well as the third dimension humans mostly have awareness in. Andromedans Just like the Syrians, there's a whole bunch of alien races that could be called Andromedans but the one that I'm going to focus on are Lyran Andromedans, which might be a more accurate name for them. Anyway, they're one of the refugee factions originally from the Lyra star system who fled the Draconian Empire during the Great War that destroyed their homeworlds. The Andromedans journeyed much farther than the other Lyran factions, and that's not an understatement. They went to a whole other galaxy. During their exodus from Lyra, they were also hunted by other predatory aliens other than the reptilians and their slave races. The Andromedans took shelter in hollowed-out asteroids and feral beast worlds or anywhere shelter could be found. They were always on the move looking for somewhere safe, their lives basically permanently in spacecrafts. But luckily beings from the Cassiopeian star system took pity on them the Andromedans finally getting the help that they needed. This was key to Andromedan survival. They probably wouldn't have made it otherwise. Not only that, but they were a shell-shocked, war-weary race of people, with their home planet, culture, and very sense of self destroyed. And the aliens who showed them compassion would not be forgotten by the Andromedans. The beings guided them away from hostile space and areas where they could possibly be tracked giving them a star chart path to Andromeda they could have never traversed on their own. They were taken to two star systems, and their new homeworlds would be known as Zenite and Tishte. They've lived there ever since, enjoying non-destroyed homeworlds for over a million years. But the Great War was still going on, and the Andromedans would play their part in the defeat of the Reptilians. And after that, they'd even go on to help organize the Grand Alliance which was mostly Lyrans, but they don't exclude anybody who meets their parameters on joining. Funny enough, the Andromedans are supposedly the aliens responsible for crop circles, and they have the stereotypical saucer-like spacecrafts. Even though their home is so far away, they, like other aliens who originate from the Lyra star system, have a strong interest in Earth. Andromedans' eyes are larger than human, but similar. The lips are thinner and shades of light pink. Their ears are lower on the head, with the lobes smaller and less pronounced. Their fingers and toes are longer and thinner than ours, making them look kind of like, I don't know, creepy bony fingers. 
Men stand from five to seven feet tall, with women smaller by a foot usually. The Andromedans either shave their heads or their hairless naturally, but are usually chrome domes. Skin tone has diversity, just like humans, though in stranger shades. They're advanced, but not among the most advanced. Still, their dedication and mastery of their sciences is absolute. The Andromedans are considered a powerful military force in the never-ending aggression of the Draconis Empire, and a major player in proactively keeping the reptilians and their slave races at bay. Basically the opposite of how they were once prey a million years ago. Now they're the predator. They hunt down greys in places they shouldn't be and any other draconian servants they can find on Earth or in the area. They've even rooted out greys on Earth, kicking them out of their long-time Martian bases as well as one on the moon that was short-lived. They've even swaggered up to the reptilians to put them in their places when they've gone too far on Earth a couple times. The Andromedans using vibration tech to destroy the underground tunnels and labyrinth bases of the subspecies of reptilians living on Earth. Basically clearing them out wherever they can without disturbing intergalactic diplomacy. They've destroyed many undersea bases as well as many others all over the planet from hostile aliens. It's a shadow game since both sides are forbidden to be directly seen or directly interfere with humans. They leave the big stuff to the Arcturians, the official guardians of Earth, and are more get-your-hands-dirty type of people, but seem to be held in esteem by all the other Lyran factions. So, Andromedans are well-respected in the cosmic community for their courage and determination, as well as their compassion and kindness towards those less fortunate. They're also pretty sick artists making all those crop circles everywhere. Alright, let's uh, finish it with the felines. The Lyran feline race, also known as the Lion People, developed beside the Carrions making them one of the two oldest alien races in the universe. Supposedly, just like the Carrions, their souls came from another universe that had already finished its cycle, and they were invited to ours to be the starters of a new game, or universal cycle, and the bodies that they would incarnate to would evolve on the planet of Avion in the Lyra constellation. Contactees have said that their original homeworld was very much like our Earth. Over time, their spiritual vessels evolved to the point where they could be inhabited, the feline species becoming humanoid in manner while keeping their feline characteristics. And as their consciousness developed, they would come to understand that they had a very important part to play in universal balance. Lyran felines are tall, ranging from 12 to 16 feet high. Their skin is covered in a light, soft fuzz. And though cat people, they don't have fur per se. But males do have manes, and both sexes have thick hair they often grow long. Lyran felines are very different from one another, colors ranging from blue to gold to anything in between. Their eye colors are equally varied, with both their eyes and hair changing in color with age, similar to humans gaining white hair as they get older. Citizens of their civilization have little gray in their morals for the most part and show very noble and benevolent characteristics towards others in the cosmic community, unless they are some sort of threat to innocent life. Unlike most alien species in the universe, the Lyran felines were never stuck being in the non-sentient incarnation cycle of animals with infantile souls. The general demeanor of these Lyrans towards each other and others is warm, sanguine, and non-judgmental. They're immensely intelligent, driven more through logic than emotions, yet are deeply in touch with their emotions as well. Upon aging, they increasingly develop a more somber, introspective, and gentle nature. The elders of this race are commonly revered by their own and other species for their wisdom, compassion, and insight. They continued to advance and advance, and of all their advancements and technologies, the Lyran felines developed a particular speciality with their sciences, the felines' mastery of genetic engineering second to none throughout universal history. 
As the cosmic population and community grew as civilizations expanded and explored the cosmos, for a long time the Lyrans and other evolved mature species all interacted and lived among one another, and for the most part they did this in relative peace. The feline race being a beacon of what's possible for other developing cultures with interstellar travel to strive for, and set the tone for interstellar diplomacy, being the first to push the notion that advanced civilizations should not interfere with the advancement and development of lesser evolved and lesser cultured civilizations. There has always been a firm belief in the Lyrans of all the different races that each planet's races must be firmly destined by their own hands. They can guide and influence, but they can only point towards the door. They can't force anyone to walk through it. And for eons, the Lyran civilizations basically existed in peace. But eventually something happened. There was a, a change in the wind. The more negative or imperialistic and fiscal cosmic civilizations grew in unrest. It was probably because there were too many goody-goody civilizations coming forth. And by this time, the reptilians of the Draconis Empire had created a massive domain for themselves, dominating thousands of alien worlds as well as a, a huge amount of colonized planets, the reptilians shouldering their way into the cosmic community as a major power in the cosmos. The reptilians resented the Lyran felines, and their creations among other civilized interstellar civilizations being in their way, because to the reptilians, the universe belonged to them. And though the Lyrans tried to keep the peace, of course they would, a neighboring allied star system was attacked by the reptilian and bird humanoids, the Carrions. This would be the beginning of the Great Galactic War, which would set the universe on fire and last a really, really long time. And the feline Lyrans were basically at ground zero on the front lines. Billions dead in the blink of an eye, and that was just the beginning of the war. After many defeats and some victories, the Lyrans were given an ultimatum. The Reptilians demanded that they leave their homeworlds forever, or face extinction. The Lyrans knew that they could make good on this threat, and there wasn't too much they could do about it. So the Felines told the other Lyrans and any other sentient race in the area to flee the Lyra constellation. The Lyrans formed into basically three distinct factions and split up. The Lyran homeworlds of the Lyra constellation were totally destroyed by the reptilians, many so damaged that they were beyond the point of being inhabitable. Most of the Lyran felines were killed, but their children races survived, and a number of the felines did escape with the other Lyrans, so they weren't completely annihilated, just mostly. The feline Lyrans still had a lot of parts to play on the cosmic stage, and a long time later during the war, they would eventually help the Lyran factions unite, as well as other alien civilizations, some to avoid the reptilians' destructive path that would inevitably come to them, some to end the suffering of their people, and others even in rebellion, having already been conquered. But it was the Lyran factions who led the charge of the later part of the wars, and against many odds and on being outnumbered on many occasions, this allied federation of aliens came out on top and the reptilians were finally forced to surrender after eons of war. What little remained of the Lyran feline population fled to the Syrian constellation with the Katay Syrians of Vegan, their society becoming a transcendental shamanistic one. Alright, that's episode 4, Alien Races, part 1. In part 2, we got some of the more juicy ones saved up, so go listen to that. It's got the Zeta Reticulans, the Greys, and Mantis race. But there's still a couple Lyra constellation descendants to cover too. One of them being the culprit behind the mass UFO sighting called the Phoenix Lights, which took place in Phoenix, Arizona, and Sonora, Mexico on Thursday, March 13th, 1997, with the largest amount of witnesses to the event in the history of the UFO phenomenon. Literally thousands of people came forth to testify on what they saw, and there's even video footage of it all. 
Cryptic Chronicles is available on iTunes, as well as all popular host sites and podcast apps. Please leave us a good review on iTunes to help the show grow, or visit crypticchroniclespodcast.com for full content. I'm your host, Tim Hacker. Thanks for supporting the podcast, and don't worry. There won't be a reptilian staring at you when you sleep tonight. Bada bing, bada boom, bada bing, bada boom.